Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring an offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the word as we look at it together. Madison, and I'm out here asking people what they believe. How do you think that humans came to exist? Wow, really? You want me to go there? <laughs> Evolution. We are just too perfectly placed and too perfectly made to not have a creator. Uh, evolution. We are infinite beings, and as spirits, we chose to have this human experience. But, you know, the evolved evolution, I guess, is what I believe. I believe that God created us with his hands. Good morning and welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church. It's good to be together today. Welcome to everyone who's right here in the Worship Center on the Modesto campus. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online. If it is your very first time here, I want you to know I'm really glad you're here. I hope that today is a really great day for you as you're checking out Big Valley Grace Community Church for the first time. We're in a series looking at what we believe as a church. We're walking through our statement of faith. And if you wanna take your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter three. We're gonna be in some other passages, but that's the passage that we're gonna be in. That's the longest. If you don't have a Bible, we wanna solve that problem today. Come to the altar room. It's a room we pray for people in after the gathering. The church here has purchased nice Bibles. They're good Bibles, they're free Bibles. We wanna give one to you as a gift. And so come and receive a Bible after the gathering. If you're with us online, just reach out to our online campus pastor, Brandon Peterson and our team, and we wanna get you a Bible. We want everyone to have a copy of the Word of God. As we've been going through this series, our team is resourcing our church family every week with new resources. And you can go to bigvalleygrace.org believe and you can find all of the resources that are available there. They're being updated every week as we've been going through this series throughout all of our ministry. Personally, I've really been enjoying with my 15-year-old son, actually he's 16 now, his birthday was this week, my 16-year-old son going to men's ministry on Tuesday mornings. Uh, my fourth and fifth graders, we've been doing kids ministry together on Wednesday nights, my small group meets, Sunday night, we've been utilizing the journal, and then as a family, we've been utilizing this journal to read it at mealtime together. And so I just wanna encourage you to take advantage of the journal. We're in week six of the journal. These are available in the Nook, or you can download uh, this for free uh, online. And so take advantage of, of these resources. So I wanna share a little bit about my heart for this series, while we're going through this series. Jesus, in John 14, one, he gave this. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. Believe in God, 
believe also in me. That's John 14, 1. Part of the heart for this series is that we believe in Jesus. And Jesus teaches us something about how to believe. Believe in God, believe also in me. And so we believe in Jesus and we believe about Jesus. There are things we believe about Jesus. A few verses later in verse 6 from John 14, Jesus says, I am the truth. And so we believe in Jesus, but Jesus is also the truth. And so we believe things about him. And what we're going through together as a church family is really the core doctrine for who we are as a church. And we're doing this together, and that's the second part, is that we believe together as a local body of believers. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it says that we're all members of the body. Just like a a human body has many different parts, but it's all one body, well, there's many different parts of the family of God, but we're all one body, and Jesus Christ is the head of the body. So we believe in Jesus, and we believe about Jesus. We believe together as a local body of believers. In our statement of faith, which is something if you're a member of the church here, you signed a document saying you agree with the 11 statements in our statement of faith, the way that our statement of faith starts off is with this. It says, we believe and accept the following statements as essentials for the unity and practice of the members of this church. So far in this series, we have looked at the authority of the Bible, the triunity of God, the person and work of Jesus Christ, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and today we're gonna be on the fifth statement in our statement of faith, and that is the creation and fall of man. And so as we get into statement number five, the creation and fall of man, there's gonna be a number of verses you're gonna see, they're really small, we're gonna actually read all of them. Paul gives this encouragement to Timothy, he says, don't neglect the public reading of scripture. Today we're going to read a lot of scripture together. But I want to read this statement before we go any further. It says this. We believe that man was created by God in his own image. Not the product of evolution or animal ancestry. That he fell into sin by personal disobedience to the revealed will of God. And that all men and women are sinful in nature and practice and unable to save themselves. Let me pray for us. Father God, Lord, as we look at your word, as we read your word, as we hear your word, would your word do an incredible, incredible work in our lives? The things we are looking at today are incredibly unpopular in this world. And God, would your word be so bold in our lives right now that we could not deny the power of your word? And would your Holy Spirit be working in our church so that as the word of God comes into our lives, it might be firmly planted deep in our hearts and that it would grow and it would produce spiritual fruit in our lives. And so, God, I'm I'm asking for your help. Would you help us as we walk through your word today? And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said. Amen. Amen. So we're going to take this statement and we're going to break it into three parts. I'm going to present it in that way. We we believe in unity three truths, and the truths are going to be sections of that statement regarding the creation and fall of man. 
Truth number one, again, this is the first part of the statement. We believe that man was created by God in his own image and not the product of evolution or animal ancestry. Recently, I sat down with Pastor Scott Elliott. He is the campus pastor for Big Valley Christian School, our preschool through 12th grade, Christ-centered college prep school. And I began to ask him about what are the challenges students face as they are heading into school, either in the school environment or really challenges as a whole. And a lot of the answers he began with were ones I would expect, uh, challenges I would expect students are facing. But one of the things he shared in the interview and you can watch it online uh, on the YouTube channel if you wanna watch the interview. But one of the things that he shared is he said the biggest challenge I think students face either in the school environment or just in life as a whole is the answer to this question. Can I trust God? Can I trust God? Because if a student can't trust God, then a student will not trust anything God has said. And I think that's appropriate for adults also. If we don't trust God, we're not going to trust what he has said. And I'm about to read to you what God has said. And where you are in your trust of the Lord is gonna largely impact how you receive what God's about to say to you from his word. In Genesis chapter one, we're gonna to get to three, but we'll start in Genesis one. In Genesis chapter one, verse 26 and 28, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Do you struggle with your image? Have you ever thought, I wish my image were different. I wish I had a different image. Let me ask you a question. What possible image could you have that is higher than what this passage describes? You have been made in the image of God. What higher image could you possibly want? You've been made in the image of God. In verse 28, it says, and God blessed them. Have you ever thought, if only I had a different image, my life would be better. If only, you know, there was these things that were different about me, you know, things would work out for me in a better way. Well, what does God bless? God blesses those who have been made in his image. There's not a higher blessing to seek after than the blessing of God and to recognize you've been made in his image and he blesses you because you've been made in his image. And so God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's plan for human life and the created world works. God's plan for human life and the created world works. Now, when sin entered the world, screwed some things up, we're gonna look at that, okay? So we, we take that into consideration here, but God's plan for human life and the created world works. What I find is incredibly interesting is our culture wants to save the planet by eliminating the people it was designed for. I was incredibly sad this week when I saw that the leader of the state that I've been so happy to be a part of my entire life chose to sign 13 more abortion bills. Incredibly sad to me that the leader of the state that I live in wanted to celebrate this with a group from Planned Parenthood as this is a wonderful thing. The incredible, intense attack on life. So sad to me, so sad to me. Made in the image, these are babies who have been made in the image of God. In Genesis chapter two, verse seven, it says, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. This is different than all other life forms because it's the breath of God that has created human life. The very breath of God has enabled human life to exist. Human life does not exist apart from the breath of God. Without the breath of God, there is not human life. Which is why when I see things like this opinion article in the Washington Post this week, titled, I don't want your God in charge of my health care," I literally look at that, scratch my head and go, how did we get here? Without the breath of God, there isn't human life. And yet we so boldly would declare, I don't want God of any part of my health. Well, that will end very poorly, very quickly. Because without God, there's not human life. In Psalm 139, verse 16, uh, 13 through 16. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. You have been crafted by God. You're not a mistake. Verse 14, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Your life is valuable. You are not worthless. This week, as I was filling out my recertification to be a foster parent in Stanislaus County, it had a question on the application, what are the things you want to teach children as valuable? And the very thing I put at the very first thing is, 
I want them to know that God has wonderfully made them. I want children to know that God has wonderfully made them. And as I submit my application this week, there will be someone at the county services agency who will process my application and they're gonna learn something about what's important to me. I want kids to know that God has wonderfully made them. They're not a mistake. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your life is designed by God. You are not an accident. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Your life has purpose in God. You are not a series of evolutionary circumstances or evolutionary mistakes. Truth number one, we believe that man was created by God in his own image and not the product of evolution or animal ancestry. Truth number two, that he fell into sin, that he fell into sin by personal disobedience to the revealed will of God, and that all men and women are sinful in nature and practice. Now we're gonna get to Genesis three. Genesis three helps us understand what happened. In Genesis chapter three, verse one, it says, now the serpent was more crafty. And crafty, that word can go either way. You can be crafty good or crafty bad. Some of you in this room are very crafty good. We can see in the context, the serpent is very crafty bad. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So this is evidence that post-creation, where God said it was good, it was very good, post-creation, sin enters the created world. We understand that because now there's this serpent who's crafty bad and is empowered by evil. Sin had not entered humanity yet, but sin had entered the created world. And this crafty serpent, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And this is a direct attack on the truthfulness of the word of God. A direct attack from Satan. And the woman said, and this would have been the moment really to verify the word of God. You know, this is what God said, and here's the truth of the word of God. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And what's unfortunate is there's, this is a misrepresentation, misrepresentation of the word of God because she does not quote it correctly, which is really kind of makes a crack in the armor. And the enemy uses a crack in the armor here to what I'm gonna say, breach the barrier of truth in the woman's heart. And the enemy comes right in and exposes it and manipulates. It's very, very sad. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows. And, and hear the tone. For God knows. For God knows. And it's really a defamation of God's character. Like He's just keeping stuff from you. For God knows. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And in this verse, this simple verse right here, the enemy sets three very direct lures as traps. The first lure is vision. Your eyes will be opened. 
The second lure is divinity. You're going to be like God. The third lure, knowledge. You're going to know good and evil, and God knows. And he's keeping you from that. Incredible. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And if you read your Bibles to the left of this, you will see that God's the one who gave the command to Adam. Adam is the one who received the command. And Adam is thus held responsible for the command being broken. The command came to Adam, and Adam is held responsible for breaking the command. In verse seven, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew where they were naked. They did not know they were naked, and now they know they are naked. It's like an instant, horrible impact of breaking God's command. Their conscience is now exposed. They had a clean conscience before, and now they do not have a clean conscience because they realize we're naked. So they do something about it. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is vegetarian clothing. (laughs) This is the very first form of man-made religion. They have a broken relationship with God. They're trying to solve it and fix it. So they take leaves and they cover themselves. This is the very first attempt at a man-made religion to try and make themselves right with God. Verse eight, when they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. And if I'm honest, I know exactly what they're doing right now because I, I know exactly what it is to sin, to realize I've sinned, and then to hide to be afraid that someone will find out that I sinned. I can relate very well to what they're doing. They're hiding because of their sin. That makes total sense to me. In Romans chapter three, verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, how how did we all end up falling into sin? You know, what? What failed? What happened? Well, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds. Think darkness covering, darkness covering our minds. Has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. The enemy deceives us, covers our thinking, so we don't see the immeasurable glory of the gospel of Jesus. So, truth number one, we believe that man was created by God in his own image and not the product of evolution or animal ancestry. Truth number two, that he fell into sin by personal disobedience to the revealed will of God and that all men and women are sinful in nature and practice. And truth number three is a very sharp dagger and unable to save themselves. Let that sink in. And unable to save themselves. This is being stuck. This is being hopeless. This is being afraid. So we pick back up our account in Genesis 3 and verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? God had not lost Adam. 
where are you? And he said, well, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Here we actually have an honest confession from Adam. He's telling the truth. I heard you. I ran. I was scared. He said, who told you? Notice, voice. Who told you? Whose voice are you listening to? Who, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded? Whose voice? Whose command? Whose instructions are you following? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman! (laughs) Whom you? Whom you? He, He blames God. The woman, whom you? Gave to be with me. She gave me the fruit of this tree, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent. (laughs) She blames the serpent. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you. The, the serpent at the beginning of the text was crafty, and now the serpent is cursed. The serpent has moved from crafty to cursed. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Do not miss, that is a declaration of war. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And even here, in this super dark, super sorry moment, way back, we still see a glimpse of hope pointing to the Messiah. Right here. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And so now the woman is receiving a curse, and the curse is pain. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. In addition to the curse of pain, now there is the curse of conflict that the woman receives. A curse of conflict. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Remember, who, who told you? Whose voice? Which command are you listening to? Because God had given a command to Adam. Directly to Adam. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it. So now the man now receives a curse of pain in eating. All the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man now receives a curse of the judgment of physical death. 
The man called his wife's name Eve because she was mother of all the living. So humanity now multiplies in pain and in conflict, in death, far from God's plan, far from the very good plan of human life and a created world, a plan that God made that worked. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and that is Adam, and death through sin, because death was the curse that he received, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So the inheritance we received from Adam is the curse of death because of sin. Now, we may be tempted to think, well, that verse isn't really about me. Like, that verse is about other people, you know, those bad ones. That verse doesn't apply to me. Well, Ephesians 2.3 says this, Among whom we all, we all, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is about us. This is about us. This truth is hard to swallow. This truth is incredibly unpopular in our world. But what this truth does is it humbles us face to the ground in desperate need of God's grace. And if statement number five was the only statement we had in our statement of faith, we would be all super depressed people. Because this statement ends and unable to save themselves. So now that we've looked at that statement, I'm given a bonus truth. It's not a part of that specific statement. And the bonus truth is this, we're all in need of God's grace. We all need God's grace. We all need God's grace. And we can see the grace of God show up even way back in the Garden of Eden. So in verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God sheds blood to cover their shame. And this is an incredible moment as it forecasts and points to Jesus Christ shedding his blood on the cross that we might have forgiveness of our sin because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And way back here where shame began, you see the grace of God coming in and covering them. Shedding blood, giving them garments of skins and covering them. This is an incredible picture of God's love and his care and his grace. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man 
And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God protects them further through actually separating them from the Garden of Eden. And you might be asking, well, does God's grace just separate me from God's perfect plan for our lives? This is an incredible picture of God's grace if you're willing to see it because they had royally messed things up. And God now removes them from the garden so they don't do more. So they don't make it worse. It's actually really gracious that he boots them out of the garden in this moment. So they don't create a bigger problem. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, the Apostle John writes, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, and we all do, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, his blood shed for our sin. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God doesn't just leave us out, you know, side the garden to perish. Where Adam and Eve failed to bear the image of God properly, God the Father sends his son, Jesus Christ, to show us this is what the proper image of God looks like. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. So where humanity failed to bear the image of God, Jesus shows us the proper image of God and Jesus transforms us into the image of God for which we were created to display. Romans 8, 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And at this point, you might be thinking, well, it, it, that can't possibly apply to me. I've, I've done too much. I've fallen too far. I've sinned too much. This can't apply to people like me because I'm a lost cause. What hope is there for a sinner like me? I know my sin. I can't possibly be included in those God loves and God saves. I've made too many mistakes. I've burned too many bridges. How can I be saved from my sin? How is it even possible that I could be recreated in the image of God? Well, in 1 John chapter 3, 1 through 3, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given us. See? Do you see what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God. And so we are. And the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him. We shall be like him because we shall see him, Jesus, as he is. And thus, everyone who hopes in him, in Jesus, purifies himself as he, Jesus, 
is pure. Are you ready to experience the love of God? Are you ready to be called a child of God? Are you ready to have Jesus recreate you into the image of God for which you were designed to reflect? Are you ready to place your hope in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? It is possible by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ who has died on the cross for you, for me, to pay for our sin. It is possible to be saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, if there is someone who is here right now and they are ready today to receive forgiveness for their sin. God, I pray, I pray that right now that you would give them the gift of faith. That you would place faith in their heart. And God, I pray that you would help them to seek you for forgiveness. And that as they seek you for forgiveness, they would find your incredible grace and your love. And if you are here and you need the forgiveness of God, I would encourage you right now to pray to God and to tell God, God, I need your forgiveness. I need to be forgiven for my sin. That you would tell God, I need Jesus. I need Jesus to save me from my sin. And God... I am trusting in Jesus. I'm trusting in Jesus that Jesus can save me from my sin. And if you're communicating that to God, I would encourage you to tell God, thank you. God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you save me. Thank you that you forgive me. Thank you that you have given me grace. And God, whoever is here that is praying that to you, God, I pray that you would help them have faith in Jesus Christ, saving faith in Jesus Christ, and you would help them to have that faith grow, that they might continue to grow in faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. amen.